This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6 a.m. on Tuesday, the 17th of May. We're back in the studio after a lovely long weekend. I hope everyone had a restful, peaceful, enjoyable long weekend. We were observing Wesak Day yesterday yes. as well as Teacher's Day. Um, I'm Shazana Mokhtar. I'm in studio with Tan Chen Lee and Philip C. A very good morning. I, I must say, what a nice long weekend. We've had many breaks, haven't we? That's right. This is the two weeks in a row where there have been long weekends, especially the extra long weekend for Hari Raya. Mm. I really think that three-day weekends should become the norm. <laughs> it should be mandated. <laughs> well, you know, many countries are applying this four-day work week. And so I think we should, you know, I think make a petition and lobby the Malaysian government to do the same thing here. Uphill battle. <laughs> once a month would be fine. It doesn't even have to be every week, but once a month we have that long weekend. I feel like it would be such a great break. Can you imagine just about a decade ago, we used to have six-day work weeks and then how oh, yeah. we then moved back to five days and now we are having this conversation about four-day work weeks. <laughs> what have we come to, Shaz? What have we come to? Well, as the Malay proverb goes, orang bagi betis, dia nak peha. So <laughs> we will always want more in the grand scheme of things, but we have a lot of stories, uh, conversations lined up for you this morning. Uh, beginning at 7.15, we're going to cover Malaysia's first quarter GDP figures and what's ahead for the Malaysian economy with economist Firdaus Rosli. And this is on the back of news that came out on Friday that our uh, economy grew by 5% in the first quarter of the year. And then at 7.30, we recap the highlights of Prime Minister Dato Sri Ismail Sabri's visit to Washington, D.C. with Elena Noor of the Asia Society. Uh, we had the uh, U.S. ASEAN Summit, a special summit, actually, we call it. It's been a few years since we have a physical one. That's I, right. Yeah, I think the Prime Minister claimed it was a success. And he was very proud to say that three of his four speeches were in the Bahasa language. Uh, at 7.45, we discussed what we know about long COVID in Malaysia as we transition to endemicity with rep- res- respiratory medicine physician Dr. Fauzi Ansa. So that's a big thing. Long COVID is here and it's here to stay. Uh, it's good that the government has put in place frameworks to deal with this and we'll get into this with Dr. Fauzi a little later on the show. We're going to have all this and more on the morning run today, so you're going to want to stay with us. BFM 89.9. That was the Kooks with She Moves in Her Own Way. Before that, you also heard the Soul Children with Finders Keepers. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.08 in the morning. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. I'm with Philip C. and Tan Chen Lee. Now, today is the 17th of May, but uh, yesterday was Monday, 16th of May, which is Teacher's Day and the day that we pay tribute uh, to teachers and deservingly so. In fact, if you have any stories of teachers that have influenced your life, we'd love to hear them. You go, You can let us know on WhatsApp at 018789 or on Twitter at BFM Radio. Um, I want to turn our attention now, though, to looking at teaching as a profession and whether we put enough effort into understanding what would make teaching a more attractive profession, what would improve the lives of teachers, because we laud them every year. But uh, I I think that our appreciation should go just beyond uh, laudatory plaudits. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, my mom was a teacher, and I know the amount of effort and time it takes. It requires you to have the combination of passion, the vocation, uh, and but you need the competence as well to do it. And it's not an easy job. It's sometimes a very much a thankless job. I think the most uh, difficult part of teaching is the patience, which I lack. <laughs> I don't think I can be a very good teacher. I think I haven't quite tried it before, but I, I, I don't have confidence in that area. <laughs> 
Well, I think the patience part is a very interesting dimension. You know, we always think about the career as someone like young to do. And I notice many people who retire actually now veer themselves into the vocation of teaching because perhaps as you get older, you you have more patience and more wisdom, right, to impart knowledge. Mm, I, I think it also depends on which category of uh, students that you teach. Uh, yeah. Maybe, you know, it, more patience would be required for the younger uh, students if you say... That's true. Right? If you say if you were to teach a college college student or someone of university level, I think it may be an easier profession. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's more like the more work to prepare because of the subject. Uh, But perhaps the patience level wise is a little bit... It's true. My my cousin in Singapore, she was a media professional and she is now a teacher and she's enjoying it. But as you say, for university students, so it's very different level of competence required there. And the skill is also different in that case, right? I find that teaching is such a, what do you call that? It's kind of an oxymoron profession in the way people view it sometimes because some people view it as, oh, it's it's easy and, and it's, it's you know, you only have half a day to work. But then on the other side, you look no. at it and exactly, there's actually so much effort that goes into it. And you think that, oh, anybody can teach. You know, if you, you're a professional, you're experienced, you, of course you can teach. But yeah. at the same time, you've got a methodology and pedagogy involved. You've got different ways to uh, communicate and reach out to your students. So I feel like a lot of times we don't give teachers enough credit in terms of just the complexity and nuance that their job requires and it's not something that simply anyone can do with the, with the click of fingers, you know? I totally affirm that. So I, 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 guys, you know that I'm a Sunday school teacher so I teach on Sunday mornings. It's a one and a half hour class but the prep work prior to the class is intense uh, and, and, and we don't even give homework and do grading but the preparation leading to the class is equivalent to double the time I teach. Mm. So it is not easy. I mean, of course, over a time, a period of time if you repeat the syllabus you can reduce it as it goes, but that definitely requires prep work because if you really care about the students, you want to know what engages them. And then, you know, students are changing by the year. And that's another aspect of teaching that, uh, that, that I think about, yeah, in the sense that we want teachers to be the best. We want the best teachers for our children and we want them to be competent and highly educated, etc. But at the same time, are we creating an environment that would attract the best? And another thing I wonder is, you know, do teachers have the leeway to also think of their job as just a job? Or must it be like a vocation or higher calling for them, you know, because they're teaching? So I feel that this uh, job has so many contradictions and complexities um, that, that it just makes me wonder. Yeah, I, I think especially when we start thinking of teaching as a business, as a source of income, then you have all these criticisms of teachers moonlighting at night, mm. you know, they're compromising. But at the same time, they have to deal with the realities on the ground, isn't it? They also have mouths to feed. They also have lifestyles to meet. So that's the big challenge. I always feel that teachers need to have the role of a, a motivator and also an inspirator. So a lot of times, if the teachers treat it as just a job, they, they tend to lack the, um, the attachment or so-called connection to the students. And somehow a lot of times it doesn't inspire a lot because, for example, I I don't like chemistry. And um, if I had a very good teacher, uh, I think I might have a different feelings towards the subject, you know. It, I mean, good as in like, you know, someone maybe yeah, more... Yeah, someone in, inspires you, right? Exactly. And like motivates you to do better and improve yourself. That's right. So I think that is also a very important trait that um, a lot of times, you know, if it's because of economic condition uh, or because they really have mouth to feed, then, you know, there may be a disconnect over there. 
I guess um, at the at the same time, I can't help but rem- you know, like I s- reminding ourselves that teachers are human as well as yeah. as you've pointed out, Phil. And in a way, we can't expect them to be able to reach to everybody. But I think all of us can attest to having a teacher in our lives that um, has created an impact of some sort. For sure, um, you know. So whatever the case, a belated Happy Teachers Day to all teachers, and do weigh in. You know, tell us what you think would make teaching a more attractive profession, or what would improve the lives of teachers. Uh, you can WhatsApp us at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into some messages now, and when we come back, we're going to discuss um, share trading and how young is too young to to actually start. Stay tuned, BFM eighty nine point nine. That was the war on drugs with red eyes. I hope you're not having red eyes after what must have been a great weekend in any case. It's 6.19 in the morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Tanchen Lee and Philip C. Now, our next story is courtesy of The Journal Podcast, one of our favorite listens here on The Morning Run. Uh, Phil, why don't you walk us through what the story's about? Yeah, the title of this the, the podcast is Our Stock Market Games Turning Teens into Risky Investors. And so the podcast very beautifully talks about how this teacher, Mike Scanlon, in view the two Day also was the uh, the post of Teachers Day. How he was able to get the kids to transition from using the from moving from these stock market games, but learning really with sound investment advice from the whole b- business of stock market trading. So the issue was that a lot of these teenage kids in New Jersey were basically playing stock market games. So basically with fake money, they were just making bets here and there, left, right, center. And I think that was a very worrying trend uh, for many reasons, right? Because they just were being flippant about the money. They were just simply like, oh, I'll buy five five stock of Amazon, 10 stock of Tesla and such, right? And as as a result, instead of it becoming an investment uh, learning process, it was all about gambling. Mm. Interesting perspective there. An interesting program, actually, I have to say, because I don't think we have something similar like that over here in our on our in our country. I mean, if you Google, I've never thought to Google stock market games, actually. But if you Google, you there do is. get a whole bunch of listings, you know, for free stock market games, not just geared at children, but even yeah. for uh, investors if they wanted to just try a simulation. And that's key. The stock market game is a simulation. And um, this is what they had at their investment club in this yeah. particular school in New Jersey. And these are teenagers. So the worrying part is that they were akin, they, you know, it's akin to like going to a casino and just taking a punt uh, and say, okay, I don't, I don't buy these stocks and such without understanding the fundamentals of finance, about savings, about debit credit. And I think that was the worrying trend here. So what changed then, Phil? Because something changed in the podcast. I mean, this podcast yes. continues the story. Something shift, shifted quite a bit when an unknown person gave 200000 of ex, um, exact cash to this investment club school and say, now you invest it with real money. And what happened was there was a sea change in how the children looked at it. They began to take it very seriously. They began to feel very nervous. They began to take it seriously. And that's when the teachers stepped in and actually provided the framework for them to understand the business better, to basically provide guidance on how they make these investment decisions. They even had an investment committee where they had to report their analysis. And they had the support from Georgetown University students on how to also make all these investments. So two observations from the podcast. Number one, the fact is that um, 
in a way, I think we underestimate teenagers and how in, totally. in in the sense of how much importance they put on on money and and you know just sound financial investing. Like you said earlier, when it wasn't for, when it was not real money, it felt like a game, like gambling, and it was all just about racking up the highest amount of of wins of so, or something. But tell them that you've got real money, and they realize the gravity of it, and and in a way, they take it a lot more seriously. I was really taken by that. Yeah, it's wonderful because initially it was a game where it was about who was the winner, and you know, investment isn't about who's winning, right? It's mm. about making returns for yourself. But the fact that they shifted to a team effort, that I think was highly laudable. Exactly. I think the second thing that really struck me about the podcast was the role of the teacher in all of this. And, you know, you can invest for a multitude of reasons. And yes, making money is is one of the main reasons for many investors out there. But the teacher that was guiding the students, he said that you shouldn't be doing this um, to make sure that, uh, you know, you gain, that you become rich, but it's really to ensure that you have enough to tide you over um, in your future retirement. So he kind of set that compass for what investing um, is meant for. Correct. And I feel that really helped to also give focus to the students and make them realize that, hey, it's not just about risky bets, but it's really about ensuring that you have that safety net for the very long future. And the sooner you start, the bigger your safety net will be. And I think the most important thing here for the students to learn is actually the fundamentals of investing and how to research stocks and how to prioritize long-term steady growth, uh, which is the fundamentals of all investments that we do. We're not trying to make fast monies here. We're trying to do a, a more like an investment habit. It's more like a way of um, life, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think to do this, and we know investments are such a complicated, they're volatile, they also have a lot amount of risk. You can't do it alone. Mm. And I think this is the big lesson from this whole podcast that teachers, even in whatever form, actually provide vital lessons for such crucial aspects of life in the future. Absolutely. And this really should extend to all types of financial activity, I feel. The younger you start in terms of financial financial literacy and how to manage your account and finances, the better. So, uh, you know, I would be glad to hear about similar uh, initiatives here. I know that many schools have entrepreneurship uh, clubs, for example. Um, Maybe an investment club is something to think about as well. Well, tell us what you think. You know, how young is too young to start learning how to trade stocks? Um, What other aspects of financial literacy should be uh, emphasized in school-going age? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, It's six. 25 in the morning, we're heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. And when we come back, we'll take a look at what at what's making headlines around the world. But to take you to the news is regret by new order. Exactly what you don't want when you invest in stocks. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Where have all the cowboys gone by Paula Cole? You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.40 in the morning on Tuesday, the 17th of May. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. and Tan Chen Lee. And it's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. What has caught your eye this morning, guys? Well, I, I mean, I'm looking at Bloomberg. The best, the one that caught my eye was that China sold zero cars in April. That gives you a sense of how severe the lockdowns were in Shanghai. Yeah, maybe not China then. Sorry, just Shanghai. Shanghai, right? Shanghai. Apologies. Right. Yes. For the month of April. For the month of April, 2022, that was a startling headline that caught my attention. 
Yes, and actually a lot of talks also about the Chinese uh, economic data that was released yesterday uh, about how the retail and also the industrial sector has slowed down a bit, uh, which maybe we will we'll touch a little bit at 7am. Um, yeah, just to build some context to that, when Malaysia had its lockdown, which was in March onwards, in April 2020, we only sold 141 cars, right, versus a peak of about forty to 50,000 cars a month. So it goes to show that when you get into this lockdown, lockdown, really consumer retail spending is severely impacted, as you were saying just now, Chen Li. Yeah, because they are stuck at home for so long. How the, how many weeks has it been? Six weeks? Yeah, and just finally, eating vegetables. <laughs> finally, they're showing signs of uh, easing of uh, the COVID restrictions um, for the residents of close to one million people has been stuck at their homes. Um, I'm also turning on the, uh, because we're talking about China here, JP Morgan, last week, they had a, a, a huge controversial report that was released uh, Accidentally, that says that a lot of Chinese stocks are uninvestable. Um, but this week, or this this week yesterday, I suppose they actually released another report, uh, actually an upgrade call on Chinese tech stocks like Tencent, Alibaba, Meituan, NetEase. Um, basically, they're changing their narrative a little bit and saying they're they're calling for an upgrade. So, which is pretty interesting because just last week ago it was uninvestable. Interesting. And then now it's what a change of tune exactly. so fast. <laughs> Did they mention why, I suppose, they're changing their tune? Is it due to, I suppose, signals from the regulatory side that you know things are easing there? I, I guess, what kind of signals are they reading? Okay, if I were to read a little bit from the report, it says that analysts are turning positive, or JP Morgan analysts, uh, positive on Chinese stocks, upgrading 15 companies after their bearish report on the industry triggered a market sell-off and a bout of internal hand-wringing at the biggest US bank. So this is what's quoted from the report. So it could be that, oh no, we said something it caused the market to crash. We must fix this. It could Cause be correct. Cause correct. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, that's from China. If we turn our attention to what's happening in Europe, and of course, the Ukraine war is still ongoing, we do have developments regarding NATO, which some see as the reason why this war is going on in the first place. Uh, we have Sweden and Finland actually announcing officially that they are going to request for NATO membership. Um, and it seemed pretty straightforward to me, at least, because, you know, the US also had been very supportive of their bid. But another country has come out to say that it will veto uh, any membership requests from Finland and Sweden and that country is Turkey. Yeah, they're not loving it because the, they're accusing Finland and Sweden for harboring all these Kurdish separatist terrorists, right? So I think over the weekend there were a lot of discussions and postures whether or not Turkey would support or not support. It's very evident that they've come out to say they don't support the, the participation. But of course Russia was also not happy about about, uh, this request because essentially you're creating this border, right, uh, with NATO members with the exception of Ukraine now. Russia's, uh, Russia's response was really interesting to me because I think uh, President Putin did say that, um, you know, they, they would have to take action if there was any nuclear or military facilities being built in Finland and Sweden. But at the same time, he also said that, oh, but it really doesn't mean much to us. I, I feel like there's a kind of dual yeah. Yeah. messaging coming out from him. So it's like, hmm, interesting. He interesting. has he's a very interesting uh, response to it because he said he's going to, he signaled tolerance for this uh, acceptance into NATO, but 
But if there is any alliance installed in uh, uh, military base or equipment in either of these countries, oh, then I think it's going to launch another attack or something. <laughs> well, it's it's very interesting because over the weekend, you also see uh, the Ukrainian forces making a lot of progress. Uh, and news also came out that they've recaptured Kharkiv, the second largest city in Ukraine, uh, with pictures of them showing at the border. Because Kharkiv is a city very close to the Russian border. Uh, and that really shows the progress. And we even saw, I think, over the weekend, Jens Stoltenberg, the head of the NATO, say that Ukraine could very likely win this war. Well, Kharkiv, uh, if I look at the map, Kharkiv is it's not part of the east per se. It is further up north Northeast. from where the Donbass region is, yeah. where where the main fighting is being held. So I do wonder what's what's going on in the Russian side of things, yeah. I suppose. Um, we are set to see this continue. And we do, as this thing continues, we are seeing more companies leave Russia. Yeah, and who's not loving this is uh, McDonald's because <laughs> they are planning to quit Russia. Uh, and also they fall on the back of Renault. Renault, uh, the French car maker, had a huge investment uh, in Russia. They've also decided to pull out. So all these multinationals, after 30 years of operations, McDonald's will be basically exiting Russia. It's it's quite symbolic because when McDonald's came to Russia, it was that sort of the big sign that Russia yeah, was opening right. to you know capitalism and the rest of the world. Yeah, it was reported at a time in the 1990, uh, there was 30,000 people who actually lined up at the restaurant on its opening day. And 30 years later, it's exiting because of all these Ukraine crises. Uh, it's just a little bit sad for me. Well, you know, these iconic American brands, McDonald's, Levi's, Coke, they represent capitalism to its finest tea. Capitalism and consumerism, you know, yeah, in a way, we're going to keep an eye on this. Very quickly, can I just put this out there that uh, the Twitter deal, mm. Elon Musk buying Twitter, that could be in jeopardy because he has raised concerns about the number of spam bots on the app. And he's sort of putting the deal on hold while they investigate further. He said that it could be as much as 20% compared to Twitter's official five. accounts of 5%. Um, why he's doing this, it's anybody's guess, really. I think the Twitter CEO, Parag Agrawal, also defended himself on Twitter, naturally, Musk responded with a poo emoji. Okay, here we very mature there, Elon Musk. 6.47 in the morning, we're heading into some messages, and when we come back, we'll take a look at what's making headlines in the local newspapers and portals. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was The Whispers with And The Beat Goes On. Such a great track to start the morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.51 a.m. on Tuesday, the 17th of May. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. and Tan Chen Li. We are taking a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals after that very long weekend. Uh, and I think that, well, when it comes to the news portals, at least we had a lot of uh, news on political developments. Yes. There were quite a number of things happening. Um, for starters, the PKR uh, began their election uh, cycle on the 13th of May. They'll be voting over the next 10 days uh, via both in-person voting and online voting. It hasn't been going smoothly, uh, to say the least. Not to say the least, because even Darfizi Ramli, one of the candidates here, lodged a protest over the poll app Adil voting app, uh, in which many say that there are many problems, even potential bugs, which is affecting the voting system. You also see in Georgetown, a war of words erupt at the Bayan Baru Physical Voting Centre at Spice Convention Centre. So it hasn't really been smooth for the PKR party elections to date. Um, so we'll wait to see whether the results come out. But I always wonder, why do we have to de- have all these mobile voting apps for these state elections? Well, I'm not 
against I'm not against online voting actually it's always I've always wondered why can't we do online voting what with all the technolo- technological sure. advancements that we have now but I, I guess you know this these kinds of uh, situations kind show us that hey maybe we're not ready for online voting yet well Rafizi Ramli you know says that two to three months were not was just not enough for the committee to build and test its Adele voting application so you know if you want to do something like this the time and planning is really required. I mean, it really, it really has to be irrefutable. It has to be uh, airtight in, ter- in terms of its uh, execution, right? So something that they're going to have to be looking into uh, as the elections unfold. Uh, other uh, political news comes from the uh, main party, Amno. Yes, Amno members have unanimously voted to amend the party's constitution to postpone the party elections after the after GE. So the amendments were unanimously agreed by about the 2,586 delegates president. What does this mean? Amno can postpone party polls up to six months after a general election or up to 18 months from the end of its leadership term, whichever comes later. Hmm, so what does this say to us? <laughs> well, that's a debate I was wondering. Who who wins from this whole process? Because we know GA15 has to be called by September 2023. Uh, is Zahid Hamidi going to be the winner in this because, you know, he has a court case pending? Or is it actually Isma Sabri? Because the polls point to an AMNO-led coalition win, an emphatic one. So this could put wind in his sails. So there's a lot of debate about who is the likely winner of this amendment to the constitution. It's something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, and it does, at, at, at least in the interim, put on hold any of the factionalism or ugly infighting that threatens to break apart the party. I think that was one of the intentions of having this. But again, who does this put in the driver's seat for the long, for the medium term in UMNO, at least? That's something everyone's going to be watching for sure. So what other headlines have caught your eye this morning? I am looking at the short-term rental piece of news that on page four of the star uh, that talks about don't penalise short-term rental. Um, apparently, if you were to look at what is short-term rental, it's actually currently unlicensed, but homestays are licensed. But homestay is very specific to only uh, referring to kampong houses and homes in the outskirts surrounded by nature. Um, so our, I think the uh, the the state, the Penang State Housing Committee Chairman Jack Div Singh uh, said that he would recommend to the state to ban short-term rentals. But people are saying that we should not do this and have more regulation against this. Yeah, we've actually had an extensive conversation on this on the evening edition Insight Story on the 29th of April with uh, Chan Ai Cheng and Naj Arifin because they're both sides of the story, right? Whether it's a boon or bane. So, mm. you know, tune into that app uh, and download it on the BFM podcast if you want to hear a more detailed conversation on this. Absolutely. I find it so interesting that we're having these discussions about short-term rentals after they've been in, ex- in existence for so long. And it just points to, I suppose, this... Uh, roadblock in 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 what regulatory framework we want to have or what the discussions are like. I think the fact the pandemic took place also didn't really help us speed things along. That's right. Because of the pandemic, then um, these things are actually uh, not discussed as much. And then now that we are reopening borders, so this came about again. As more tourists come in and as exactly. more people are looking for places to stay. All right, we're coming up to 6.56 in the morning. And then after that, we're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin and along with uh, how global markets it's closed overnight and taking you to the news is Queen with Don't Stop Me Now. State BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.